Thanks for checking out this week's message. I hope that it's helpful for you wherever you are on your spiritual journey. Here at Restore, we are a place where anyone can have a seat at the table and everyone can experience the extravagant love of Jesus. So I hope you walk away from this message knowing that you are deeply loved by God and that you can be fully loved by a church community. And if you don't have that, we would love to connect with you here at Restore. You can go to restoreaustin.org to find out more. All right, we're going to start this morning with a little survey, so crowd participation necessary. How many of you love the Enneagram personality test? Raise your hand up. Okay, a lot of hands, a lot of hands. A couple of, shh, Sam, I heard that, I heard that. How many of you are really tired of hearing about the Enneagram? Raise your hand up. Ah, there we go. Those hands went up faster and higher. How many of you are hearing the word Enneagram maybe for the first time right now? You have no idea what that is. Great. Okay, now listen. If you're in the final category, the Enneagram is the world's oldest personality test. It's got origins traced back to the fourth century. It essentially divides people into one of nine personality types. Um, in case you were all wondering, I'm a three, which is the best number. I wish you didn't know that. Any other threes out there that can know? Yeah, yeah, best number, right? Yeah, y'all know, y'all know. Uh, threes are really good at humility. It's number one thing. Um, we've mastered humility. That's what it is. Um, but anyway, the, the Enneagram is one of those things that if you're really interested in it, you are really interested in it, right? Like you love it. It, it, it you know, helps you engage with the world, understanding your number, other people's number. I had lunch with our board uh, here at Restore last week, and we spent a bunch of time talking about our Enneagram numbers and how they affect the way we engage in the world, the way we lead at Restore, the way we see things. And I love the Enneagram, and I really love all personality tests for a variety of reasons, but honestly, more than anything, I love them because they are one of these really cool and tangible ways that demonstrate how each of us are uniquely created by God. Because you might have the Enneagram where it's like, you know, one of nine, or you might have like the Myers-Briggs where it's one of 16, but in reality, each of these, even the nine or the 16, express themselves in radically different ways. Now, you may not know it, but you are unique. You are not rare. That's something different. You are unique. You are one of a kind. Have you all ever seen companies do limited releases of rare items? Right? You ever seen this? It doesn't matter. It could be like a batches of whiskey or luxury cars, but every limited release has this kind of one thing in common. That's that they display the numbers related to the release. So for example, I brought this. This Volkswagen is a limited release 2007 Volkswagen Fahrenheit. So it has a lot of really cool features, like a turbocharged engine that can go from zero to 107 seconds. But what makes it really valuable is how rare it is. They only made 1,200 of these cars, and each of them has their number on it. So here's a picture of the steering wheel of one of them, 625 of 1,200. So this car is rare, right? It's only 1,200 made. But my friends, you are not rare. You are unique. And those are two different things. The Oxford Dictionary defines unique like this, being the only one of its kind, unlike anything else. My point is this, you are not one of 1,200 like the Volkswagen Fahrenheit, you are not one of 16 like the Myers-Briggs, you are not one of nine like the Enneagram. You are one of one, quite literally, one of a kind. 
And science backs this up. Did you know that there are almost 8 billion people alive right now? And although it's an educated guess, most experts estimate that around 100 billion people have ever lived throughout the course of human history. Every single one of these 8 billion people alive today and the 100 billion people who have ever lived are unique. They are one of a kind. There was an article in Forbes a few years back called How Many Possible Combinations of DNA Are There? The article was written by a PhD in microbiology named Drew Smith. And Dr. Smith cites the work of various scholars and experts in this field as he explains that the number of possible DNA combinations is essentially infinite. My favorite part of the article is when Dr. Smith is talking about trying to quantify the much smaller number than how many combinations of DNA are there, of how many traits can be embodied in human DNA. Even that number, he says, is, quote, a number so large as to be meaningless. Undeterred, though, he tries to figure out what this number actually is. He tries to calculate this large, meaningless number by plugging it in to this high-powered calculator. And when he hit the equals button, the, the screen of the calculator literally says, not a number. <laughs> Just what it put out, not a number. There are infinite versions of being a human being which means there never has been, nor will there ever be, someone exactly like you. That is because God has made you unique. Now, we talk about our individual uniqueness and restores core value of diversity, which starts out by saying God has made all of us differently, but he has made all of us valuable. But even though our uniqueness is incredible in and of itself, it's not even the most amazing part about being human. Because God didn't just make each of us uniquely, God loves each of us uniquely. He didn't just make you one of one, he engages with you in a one of one kind of way. Contrary to what you may have been told, God does not love us with a one size fits all kind of love. He doesn't just hand out carbon copies of his affection to everyone. Now, most of us intuitively understand that we don't all relate to God in the same way, right? We've had friends, you know, some people are more into something like this, or they have the quiet time every morning. Maybe you've struggled with it. Maybe you like love worship music, but, you know, somebody else doesn't. Like, we intuitively understand we don't all relate to God the same way. But I think something we struggle to understand sometimes, especially depending on our church background, is that God doesn't relate to us the same way either. He relates to you based on the way he has uniquely created you. He meets you where you are. And he loves each of us uniquely. The way he loves me isn't the same way that he loves you. It's just as powerful, just as beautiful, just as relentless, but it's not the same. Now, I know this because of my personal experiences, but I also know it because of stories from Scripture, like the one that we're going to look at this morning as we continue our year of Bible stories for grown-ups. So today's story is recorded in John's account of Jesus' life, chapter 11, starting in verse 1. You can turn there, Bible phone. The verses will also be on the screen behind me if you want to follow along there. John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Here's where it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This is the Martha who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. 
No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Now these three people, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are prominent characters in the life of Jesus. We know that they are some of his closest friends, that he often stays with them in their home in Bethany when he is traveling to Jerusalem. Um, most uh, Jews did this once a year. Uh, Jesus did it more than that. So he probably stayed with them a lot of times. And it's likely that their relationship actually goes back much further than adulthood. There's a really good chance that Jesus grew up around Mary, Martha, Martha, and Lazarus, stopping at their home on his family's annual trips to Jerusalem from Nazareth or Galilee, right? So they would make these annual trips, and Bethany was the perfect stopping point. My guess is that Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had many a slumber party as kids and developed a close relationship that lasted their whole lives. Right off the bat, we see the intimacy between them in this story, right? Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, and the messengers describe Lazarus as what? The one you love. The one you love is sick, Jesus. That's like your best friend, somebody that you have grown up around, somebody that you're really close to, somebody that you care deeply for is sick. Jesus doesn't need any further description. He knows exactly who they're talking about. And then verse five is really the foundational statement of the entire story. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He loves them collectively, yes, but he also has a deeply personal relationship with each of them as individuals. He loves them uniquely. And that's what we're gonna see demonstrated in the most amazing way in this story. So let me show you what I mean. After Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, Jesus tells his disciples they're gonna travel to Bethany to help he goes actually against the advice of these disciples who remind him that the last time he was in that area, he almost got stoned to death. But Jesus knows the risks, but he's propelled by his love for these three siblings. And he chooses to go anyway. Verse 17, it says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He had died already. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Okay, so when Jesus arrives in Bethany, Lazarus has already been dead for four days, and many folks are there comforting the family, walking through this with them. Martha comes out to meet Jesus, but Mary stays back at home. Now, I want you to pay attention to how Jesus intimately and uniquely relates to these two folks, okay? The first one he encounters is Martha, who comes out to meet him, verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Notice that Jesus comforts Martha through conversation. He has a back and forth with her. He reasons with her. He intellectually engages with her. They're talking about theology. They're hearkening back to scripture. They're arguing a little bit here. Maybe Martha was a five on the Enneagram, if you are a five. Fives are often called the investigator because they're very cerebral and they attempt to understand their environment through knowledge and reason. They're trying to get to the bottom of things. 
Now, like I said earlier, I'm a three on the Enneagram, but I'm a big fan of fives. Some of my favorite people are fives, including my brilliant wife, Amy. Now, listen, I don't know if Martha was a five or not, but Jesus knows her so well that he understands exactly what she needs in this moment. She doesn't want a cliche. She doesn't need a Bible verse. She isn't ready for a hug either. She wants to know why. She wants to understand. She wants to argue. She wants to express how she's feeling. She wants to push back on the things that Jesus says. She wants to figure it out. So that's what Jesus does. That's how he meets her here. He uses reason to remind her of the coming resurrection and of his power to give eternal life to anyone. He's not scared away or offended by Martha's anger and questions. Some of you need that. God, especially God in the embodiment of Jesus Christ, is not scared away by your questions or your anger or your doubts or your struggles or your need to reason through things. He's not scared by that. He meets you there. He knows what Martha needs. And he ministers to her in this unique and personal way. And it works, right? Martha verbally processes what has happened and concludes with an affirmation of who Jesus is and the power that he has. You see this transformation happen in Martha as he meets her in this way. But then, knowing her sister could use some comfort too, Martha goes and gets Mary. Verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him, right? So she went out of the village, out of her home, and met him kind of at the front gate of the village. When the Jews who had been with Mary in her house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Shortest verse in all of scripture most famous, one of the most famous verses in all scripture, Jesus wept. I think most of us are probably under the impression, just based on if we've heard this story before, that Jesus wept in front of the grave where Lazarus was buried, right? He goes over, he sees that his friend has died, he's standing in front of the grave, he weeps. I know that's what I've been taught, kind of generally assumed throughout my life, but that's not what it says. Did you catch that? They didn't go to the tomb, actually, until verse 38, three verses later. Mary runs to Jesus while he is walking down the street toward her house. She sees him, she collapses at his feet, and she starts to sob. That is when Jesus starts to cry. Isn't that amazing? Jesus doesn't weep in front of the tomb. He weeps with Mary. Jesus doesn't talk things out with Mary like he did with Martha, right? Totally different interactions. He asked the people with her, where is Lazarus buried? But he doesn't even say anything to Mary. He knows her. He knows that is not what she needs in this moment. Mary needs Jesus to enter into the grief with her. So that's what he does. Right there in the middle of the street, in front of everyone, Jesus 
God in the flesh cries with Mary because that's what she needs. Now, I don't know if you caught this. It's kind of a cool part of the story, but the sisters say the exact same thing to Jesus. Did you catch that? When they see him. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They're going through the same tragic event. They even say the exact same thing to Jesus, but they do not need the same kind of care in that moment, right? What they need is radically different. Mary and Martha are unique individuals and Jesus cares for them in unique ways. It's an absolutely beautiful thing, I think, to behold. There's still one more sibling in the story, so let's see how Jesus uniquely cares for Lazarus. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for there. He has been in there four days. Love that. Such a Martha thing to say, right? <laughs> Jesus, you don't get it. Okay, Mary's still crying, right? She's struggling. Martha's still trying to reason it out. Jesus, you don't get it. Don't go in there, right? Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, like I said, he ministers to Lazarus in his own way too. Because think about this, right? As Lazarus lay dying, I am sure he wondered where his friend Jesus was, right? They'd sent word, Jesus, the one you love is dying. Get here quickly. He knew that, and he knew that Jesus could heal whatever was ailing him. Lazarus had seen or heard about Jesus' miraculous healing many times as they traveled together, but now it's him who needs to be healed, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. Can you imagine how hard that would have been? Laying on your deathbed, knowing that one of your very best friends has the power to save you, but is not showing up? As he slipped closer and closer to death, I'm sure he thought it's too late. Jesus isn't gonna show up. Maybe he's not who I thought he was, you know? Maybe he doesn't love me like I love him. I'm gonna die and Jesus isn't here. Maybe he doesn't care. As Jesus walked up to that tomb, he knew what Lazarus needed. Lazarus needed to be reminded of just how much Jesus loves him. When he walked out of that tomb, Lazarus found out that it's never too late for Jesus. Even if it doesn't look the way we imagine or go the way we think it should, Jesus always shows up and reminds us of his great love for us. Just like he did with Martha and Mary, Jesus loves Lazarus in a unique way. Like I said, Jesus' love is really what this story is all about. Remember verse five, the one I said is the foundational statement. Now Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. All of this happened because of Jesus' love. Love undergirded everything that Jesus did. Love even drove Jesus to the cross because of the great love with which he had loved us, Scripture says, Christ died for us. And just like Lazarus was resurrected, Jesus overcame death with life and showed us that nothing is more powerful than God's love for us. 
What I want you to understand this morning is that that love that Jesus had for Mary and Martha and Lazarus is the same love that he has for me and for each and every one of you. The most famous verse in all of the Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to save us. And that is certainly true, but I want you to know God doesn't just love the whole world. He loves every single person in it. And he loves each and every one of us in unique and intimate ways. Our God, my friends, is not a God that is distant and removed. A God that doesn't see us when we're hurting. A God that doesn't hear us when we cry out. Our God put on flesh and came to earth as Jesus so he could show us just how great his love for us is. And like I said earlier, God doesn't love us with this one size fits all kind of love. He loves all of humanity equally, but he loves all of us uniquely. He knows what you need because he created you. You are one of a kind. And he loves you uniquely. And because of that, we can come to God with confidence, even in our most difficult moments, knowing that he knows exactly what we need. Knowing that he's going to meet us exactly where we are. Whether you need to talk it out and argue like Martha, or you need to cry it out and weep like Mary, or just be reminded of how much Jesus loves you and that he is going to show up like Lazarus. God knows what you need and God meets you there. To remind us of that beautiful truth this morning, we're gonna celebrate communion together like we do on the last Sunday of every month. So I wanna invite the band to come back up and then I'm gonna give a few reminders before we begin about how we do communion and how it all works here. So the first thing that I want you to remember and to know is that communion is for everybody who wants to partake. No matter who you are, what you've done, where you are on this spiritual journey, Jesus meets us where we are and invites us to this table. Whether it's your first time or your thousandth time, these communion tables, just like Jesus's table, is open to whoever wants a seat at it. That's number one, but number two is you don't have to. If you don't wanna receive communion, that is completely okay. If you're not at a place where you're ready for that, that is okay. When we get up in just a second to dismiss, you can just stay in your chair. That's totally fine. I promise that no one is gonna judge you or condemn you because this is your faith journey, no one else's. Also, if you are a parent here and you have a kid in here, you are in charge of your kid participating in communion, whatever that looks like. Again, no judgment, that's your call. If you are gonna take communion today, here's how it works. When I finish giving these instructions, I want you to walk up to one of these four folks up here. Jordan, Ashley, Antoine, and Asia are gonna be handing out communion this morning. We have grapes representing the wine and crackers representing the bread. Grab one of each of them and then take them back to your seats and hold on to them because we're gonna take them all together in just a couple of minutes. Also, the crackers are gluten-free and vegan, so everyone can participate. 
When everyone has the elements and the song has finished, I'll come back up here and lead us through the taking of communion together. Until then, you can sing, you can meditate, you can do whatever it has, God has for you there. So, with that being said, go ahead and stand with me. You can go through any of the aisles, like I said, and come and get the elements together.